Let's turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles. Otherwise, we will have the words on the screen. This morning, we mark this Palm Sunday. That Sunday when Jesus rode in triumphantly into Jerusalem. Let's begin reading in verse 28. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away. And found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Let's let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word this morning. Lord, open our eyes. Let it not be hidden from our eyes for a moment. The beauty and power of this moment, of this day, and this week, Lord. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts that there is such a thing as Palm Sunday, Passion Week, Good Friday, and Resurrection Sunday. Because it means everything to us, Lord. It means everything to us. So, Lord, now as we sit under your word and we... Consider this beautiful moment that we just read about. We just ask you to speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts worship and praise for our God and reorient our lives that we might live in the goodness of what Jesus has accomplished for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, your Bible probably has the same section of title that mine does, the triumphal entry. And it was a triumphal entry. What is, if you know Jesus' ministry, you, you recognize that for most of his ministry, he was always trying to put a lid on the jubilation, on the proclamation of who he was. He was always trying to restrain the crowds from, from getting too big or getting too loud. When he healed people of miraculous, of, of incredible illnesses, he would then often tell them, 
don't tell anyone about it. They never listened to him. They always went out and told everybody. But he would tell them, don't tell anybody about what happened. When demons would recognize who he is and would say, we know who you are. You are the son of the most high. He would tell them to be silent. Most of Jesus' ministry, he, he was trying to put a lid on the proclamation of who he is. But not on this Palm Sunday. This Palm Sunday is different. Jesus knows as he sits upon an unbroken colt riding into Jerusalem that everybody watching is going to be seeing Zechariah that prophesied that behold, your king comes humble in righteousness and salvation in his hand riding upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. He knew that it would evoke the image of a king coming into Jerusalem. And that's exactly that. The disciples started out and they're, they're excited as he's riding in on this Zechariah donkey. And then the crowds begin to grow and they begin to grow. They begin to lay cloaks before him. They begin to put palms before his path, which is a way, an Old Testament Jewish way of welcoming a conquering king. And as he's coming in, they begin to sing from Psalm 118, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees, they saw clearly what was going on here, and they were burning with jealousy and indignation. And they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples, tell them to shut up. And Jesus said to them, and the disciples are listening to this. And Jesus said to them, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is a moment for proclaiming the king is here. And I can imagine the disciples at this point are fist pumping and so excited. I want you to try to put, you know, we know the rest of this story. But I want you to try to put yourself for a moment in the place of the disciples at this moment. As they are watching the king take away, like for three years he's kept the cloak over his his majesty. But now he's beginning to reveal his majesty, his glory as a king. He's beginning to let it be shouted out. He's fulfilling the prophecy. And he's telling the Pharisees, if they don't sing out, the the rocks will And they are thinking, this is it. Try to put yourself in there. This is not only the pinnacle of success. This is the permanence of success. This is like everything is good from now on. This is the triumph that's going to lead into all triumphs. Into an eternity of triumphs. The king is going to set up his throne. And everything will be good and right and perfect from now on. All the promises of God from here on out are going to be wins and successes and triumphs and kingship and good. It's going to be all wins, no losses, all laughter, no tears from here on out. I'm pretty sure that's how they were saying it. This triumphal entry would lead to a triumphal setting up the throne, which would lead to a triumphal he will rule from his throne forever. So imagine how surprised they were when Jesus drew near to Jerusalem and began to weep 
Sinclair Ferguson points out, weeping is more than crying. It's deeper than crying. To weep is to cry with distress. It's to, it's to have your heart wrenched and drenched in pain and it come out in tears. He wept. My Bible says triumphal entry. It does not then immediately say tearful entry, but it should. Because his triumphal entry became a tearful entry. But the disciples could not see as they thought, we've made it. We made it. Like, it's all good now. What they couldn't see is the best day of their lives would turn into the worst week of their lives. End of Jesus' life. Because here's what's right around the corner of this triumphal entry. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all the religious leaders are going to mount nothing but adversity and opposition to them day in and day out. They're going to try to trick him up with questions. They're going to question his authority. They're going to openly oppose him. And Luke tells us behind the scenes that they have decided to destroy him. Not damage him, destroy him. All of that would lead to them bribing Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus being arrested, tried, rejected, whipped, scourged, crucified, and died. I think it's pretty safe to say the disciples did not see that coming. They did not see that coming. They saw unbroken successes from this point forward. And I I think in some way, most of us can relate to the disciples in that. Maybe you're not like this, but I am like this. When I'm standing on the brink of what perceives to be a success, like a great success, not that I've had many of those, it can feel like this is the turning point. This is the good thing that's going to make it all happen. You might feel like, man, my ship has come in. My future is looking good. The good life graph is going up and up and up. It's going to be good from here on in. Or maybe you think, if this thing happens, if I, if I achieve this in my life, if I accomplish this, if I, if I can marry that person, if I can buy that house, if I can have a child, or if I can do this, or I can get that job, or make this much money, or have this much, or drive this kind of car, the good life graph would just go up and up and up, and it would be good from that point on. Or on the other hand, I know this has happened to me. You hit a failure. You hit a down point. And it looks like that covers and colors all of the future for you. You just feel like this is it. The, 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 the loser life graph is going to go down. It's just going down from here. Everything's going to get worse and worse. Failure is going to define my life. 
I want to talk to you this morning about the paradox of the triumphal entry. The paradox is that success and failure, wins and losses, triumphs and tears can and do often go together in our lives. They can and do often go together. Today's success can become tomorrow's failure, which can become the days after greater success. Now, I want to I want to make sure that we know that Jesus's triumphant entry was really triumphant. It really was. That's why he said, listen, this moment, this moment, if the crowd doesn't cry out, creation will. Because such a king is entering in such a day into the Jerusalem that even the the rocks, the trees, they've been keeping their mouth shut. They're going to sing out. This is a truly, really triumphant moment. Yeah, we're going to get to the tearful. That's next. Jared's just a little early on that. (laughs) The tearful entry was real too. As Jesus saw Jerusalem and he saw their future and he saw that they had rejected him, would reject him en masse. He wasn't tearful for himself. It was tearful because they did not know what would have made peace in their lives. It was hidden from them. They were going to reject him. And he wept. And those were real tears. So you got real triumph and you got real tears right next to each other. And for the disciples who are coming alongside and observing this, the crowd that are watching Again, what they don't know is that the best day of their lives is going to turn into the worst week of their lives, which is then going to lead to the best, best day of their lives and all our lives. Because this week is what is going to make it possible for the King Jesus to bring the salvation in his hands that Zechariah prophesied he would have. The triumphal entry would not have brought salvation to us. The Passion Week did. What I want to do is kind of walk through this a little bit with us with two paradoxes. Because in one sense, the road Jesus walked is a road we'll never walk. We will never be the king. We will never walk to the cross and die on the cross for salvation. The resurrected Savior. We are not Jesus. Amen. But in another very real sense, this overlays on our life because the path Jesus walked, He was walking for us as humanity's representative. He rode humble on a colt as the King of Man, the Son of Man. And everything He walked through, the adversity, the the, the sin pounding against Him, the rejection, the scourge, Of what sin brings. The barrenness. And then to die. All of that was our road. He made it His road. But it was our road He walked. That was our road. That was humanity's road. Right up to the cross where we would die but eternally for our sins. And face the punishment and wrath of God for our sins. That was our road. Jesus made it His road. Now He took our road. And then he added a whole new extension with the resurrection. But we'll talk about that next Sunday. 
So I want to kind of overlay the paradox of the triumphal entry. I want to consider two paradoxes. The first paradox is this. Jesus didn't triumph with the crowds. He triumphed with the cross. He didn't, cry, he didn't, he didn't triumph with the crowds. He triumphed with the cross. The, the crowds were praising and exalting Jesus, but the Bible tells us Jesus did not entrust himself to their praise because he knew what was in the heart of men. He knew how fickle the praise of men can be and is. The same crowd, many of the same voices that lifted his name up in praise would one week later be crying out or a few days later crying out, crucify him. Jesus didn't come to triumph with the crowds. He came to triumph with the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15 says this. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, listen to this, triumphing over them by the cross. By the cross. He triumphed on the cross. It was on the cross that Jesus took the debt that we owe to God and wrote, paid in full. Paid in full. It was on the cross that He bore our sins, including our fickle, adulterous hearts, so that we could be forgiven and have relationship with God. On the cross, Jesus bore the pain and the brokenness of this old world so that our lives could be put back together again. Jesus the King couldn't save us unless He went to the cross. So consider the paradox. Triumphal entry to the disciples was the high point. The cross was the lowest point. But in terms of our salvation, the triumphal entry wasn't the high point. The cross was the high point. And there's a beautiful truth for our lives in this paradox. That I want to, I want to suggest to you, we will never find our identity in the crowds. You will never be able to measure your personhood or your genuine success or failure in terms of the crowds. You never will. And that includes yourself. We live in a society obsessed with success and hates failure, but the reality is I think those words do not really speak of the realities of what life is composed of. We will never find that identity. I am a success through the crowds and what people say about us. Identity is a big thing today. People want to be free to discover their identity. The paradox is the freer we become to to be ourselves and to discover our identity, the more enslaved to our identity we become. The more we try to find our identity in what the crowds say about us, the more we, number one, strive to keep the crowds happy. And if you have done that, you know how exhausting that is to try to make people happy in order to feel like your identity is meaningful. 
But number two, the more we realize that the crowds actually don't have the power to forge our identity and who we are. How many people the crowds say successful, but in their hearts they know I failed. How many have crowds saying you're lovable and then feel unloved in their hearts? The crowd says you have everything that life has to offer, but we feel empty inside. Tim Keller points out that Christianity is the only identity that is received, not achieved. Christianity is the only identity that is received, not Achieved. Let that sink in. We receive our identity as beloved children of God. We don't achieve that. We receive our identity as more than conquerors in life. We don't achieve that. We receive our identity as valuable and precious to God. We don't achieve that. Which means the crowd's can't make us a success by what they say, and they can't make us a failure by what they say. The world might say unlovable. The world may call over you. They might write over you unlovable. God says dearly loved. The world might say worthless. God says precious. The world doesn't have the power to to define your identity or your success or failure You are who God sees who you are. That is who you are. Who you are in God's eyes is who you are. And who you are isn't defined by what you do or don't do. By what you achieve or what you don't achieve. What your personality or your abilities or your gifts are or aren't. For Christians... Who you are is defined by the cross and the resurrection. You have died in Christ and you have been raised to new life in Christ. That is who the believer is. We are children of God through the work of Christ. Jesus didn't come to be the king of the crowd. He came to be the king of our hearts. And that's the good work he's doing in you and in me. Jesus didn't come to triumph with the crowds. He came to triumph with the cross. The second paradox that I want to point out to us is triumph and tears can go together and often do. Triumph and tears can sometimes and maybe even often go together or follow each other closely. Right after one another. For Jesus, his triumph was followed by tears, followed by suffering, followed by rejection, followed by crucifixion, followed by resurrection. Jesus has won us an eternal victory in him. Through the cross, through the empty grave, he has won us an eternal victory. And ultimately, we will one day live forever in that forever victory and the goodness of that victory. But until then, we live in a place of triumph and tears. Triumph and tears. I want you to listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That is so good and that is so true. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. But before we think that that triumphal procession is like always triumphing, always victory, always winning, always everything going our way, nothing goes wrong because I am walking in triumphal procession with Christ. Before we think that's what he's saying, we got to drop that verse back into its context. You know the context of this? It isn't Paul walking around, hey, I've got everything. It is mental distress. It is relational tension. It is all kinds of suffering and problems that are going on. And into the context of grief and relational stress and mental distress, Paul drops this. But thanks be to God, we are always being led in triumphal procession through Christ. Triumph and tears. Triumph and tears. That's part of the road. They often go together in our lives. So I don't know if I can communicate this to you, and I don't know where you are at, but what I want to say is things might look hopeless today, and tomorrow hope may explode in technicolor in your life with new possibilities. But today, you might feel like it's all hopeless. You see hopeless as far as the horizon goes. Or conversely, you might have the world by your tail today. Something happened, you got that promotion, whatever, and you feel like it's all, you know, it's like, man, I, I am, I'm doing great. And life is great. And I'm going to, and it's far as you can see on the horizon, it's great. And we, we often don't recognize that either side of those could have something very different tomorrow. In other words, I hope I'm helping us realize that we really don't know what tomorrow holds. Amen? We don't know what's around the corner. The disciples, as they follow Jesus into Jerusalem, crowd singing, all this excitement, here's what they're thinking. We are going to spend the rest of our life on Victory Highway. That's where we are now. Little did they know, in just a few days, they'd be following Jesus on the Via Della Rosa, the path of sorrows. They didn't see that coming. Then when it came, they felt like this is all life will ever be again. We have lost the one we put all our hope in. The one we thought would be the reigning king. The one we thought would be the Messiah. The one that we had all hope in is dead. And now they think the Via Della Rosa is the only path they will ever live again and walk again. And then came Resurrection Sunday. And a whole new path opened up for them. Triumph in tears. But in Christ, the tears are temporary and the triumph is eternal. I had a coffee this week with a friend whose life seems to be shattered right now. 
one of the most important relationships in his life has broken down and there's nothing he can do about it. And I'm not exaggerating when I say the pain was evident on his face as we sat there and talked. He feels broken, helpless, confused. And I knew there was nothing I could say that was going to change that or change the situation. But as we were talking, I I kept thinking of one phrase that I heard recently and that has been a strength to me, and I shared it with him. I said to him, hey, I said, something that I've been reflecting on that I've heard recently is this. Let weakness be your superpower. Let weakness be your superpower. Embrace your weakness in the season. Embrace your helplessness and the pain. Embrace it. Don't try to numb yourself out of it. Don't try to run from it. Embrace it. Let your weakness be your superpower. Embrace your need for God. Embrace your dependence on God. Embrace it. Our flesh doesn't like to hear that. Our flesh does not like to hear that. There are, and I've counted myself among them for many years, there are Christians who don't like to hear that. It's like, no way, man. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. Man, you are. Jesus was more than triumphant on this day. But it still led to great suffering and tears. And his great triumph looked more like a failure in the eyes of the world. The paradox is this. God's strength is perfected in us in our weakness. Weeping may last the night time, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Psalm 126, verse 5. Triumph in tears, triumph in tears. So as we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, and then we head into the Passion Week, let's not try to airbrush the sorrow, the adversity, the rejection, or the suffering that Jesus encountered in this Passion Week. Let's embrace it and thank God that Jesus our King endured it all for our sake. Our Good Friday service is going to meditate on the beauty of Christ's brutal death on the cross. And the triumph he won for us. And then none of that would be good news except for Resurrection Sunday, which we'll celebrate next Sunday. But I want, as we celebrate that, to overlay our lives because this is our road too. We are following him. And whatever life is throwing at you today, maybe you're in a season of victory and success. Enjoy it. Maybe you're in a season where it looks like there's just loss and failure or suffering and sorrow and it hurts. Let weakness be your superpower. And he will give you strength and grace. Lean hard on Jesus. I want to close with this thought. Life comes in seasons. I don't know what season you're in. 
I don't know what season you're walking through right now. Life comes in seasons. There's seasons of, of good and seasons of hard. I'm not going to say bad. There's seasons of wins and successes. There's seasons of loss and failures. They come and they go. Years ago, I was writing in my journal, and as I reflected on some of the ups and downs of seasons in my life, I wrote this. It's not about the season. It's about the Savior. Let's orient our lives around our Savior, knowing we have the victory in Christ. Whether we're on a triumphal moment road or a tearful road right now. Don't fix your eyes on the road. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray this morning together. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love all that you have done for us. We love the fact that you didn't come to help us because you came to save us. There would be no salvation at all apart from your work on our behalf. Lord, when we feel strong, we're not. We're weak. When we feel our weakness and are dependent on you, that's when we're strongest. So we will boast rather in our weaknesses because we will boast in Christ. Lord, I pray that today, whatever people are, whatever season they're in, I pray you give them hope and give them perspective. Lord, if that person is like feels like they're just facing a horizon of failure and loss and sorrow, that you would give them great hope. The sun is rising. As they trust in Christ, there's a dawning coming. Let them not give in to hopelessness. Let them not give in to fear. Let them not give in to sorrow. But to embrace their weakness and trust you for strength. And Lord, as we go home, help us to live this day with Jesus as our King because he is our King. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great Palm Sunday.